0: All right, hey everybody. Welcome to the Chain like God podcast where we break down the information asymmetry on all things blockchains, oracles, and smart contracts. So as you probably noticed in the past, I don't know past couple of weeks, crypto has been absolutely exploding again. Uh, you know earlier this year we saw the downfall or the contagion of, Terra Luna exploding, and then Three Arrows Capital falling, and then Celsius collapsing, and then a bunch of other hedge funds and uh, CFI lenders collapsing. And that was a pretty painful experience and earlier this year. And I figured that you know we had gotten past that point <laughs> by this point, but uh, obviously not with the collapse of FTX and the uh, Genesis liquidity crunch and all the contagion, all the CFI lenders running into a crunch again. So we're in that whole situation all over again. So you know i thought it'd be interesting for the crypto and oracle to provide our perspective on these whole situation uh like we we have before (laughs) on areas that crypto need to approve and then just generally discussing is there a way to mitigate this impact or is there a way to provide transparency in order to kind of prevent this situation in the first place so welcome crypto oracle
1: how are you doing today doing okay i guess all things considered i was pretty heavily you know following i mean i think everyone in crypto is pretty much addicted to twitter for like the first week of this all going down it kind of it it kind of actually was kind of a vibe on twitter i i gotta admit like it was kind of fun everyone was on there even though we were all everything was on fire and obviously a lot of people got wrecked and and this or that but it was i mean elon probably loved it because everything was happening on twitter but um seems to seems to be settled down at least a little bit the the last few days but i'm sure there's a i'm sure there's more coming what's funny is that like it seems like you know like a lot of what we're talking about here i mean some is from facts, some is going to be speculation but like it seems like this all was like contagion from the luna collapse it just like took a long time to play out and then also like you know some other actions taking place like cz selling the FTT and then that you know basically collapsing the house of cards more but it seems like this is just stuff that kind of extended out and then a few a couple events also happening and then just you know the house of cards just exploding. basically everything's just over over leveraged and people are just doing no due diligence uh i mean particularly all these CFI institutions doing no due diligence and you know creating massive exposure or massive leverage that was you know unsecured basically
0: yeah and just to provide some context if you haven't been following the the ftx saga which i'd be surprised if you haven't but effectively tldr uh alameda trading firm ftx and exchange both run by F, uh, ftx alameda quote-unquote borrowed aka stole 10 billion dollars of user funds from ftx lost it Trading in some way in the crypto sphere, and now FTX and Alameda are bankrupt and insolvent and owed about ten billion dollars to users. So that's like you mentioned was basically run on a delayed process from the collapse earlier this year, where almost every CFI lender either collapsed or had a liquidity crunch or ran into some losses. And you know Alameda was one of the larger lenders within the ecosystem. So. Yeah, I would say that it's it's kind of interesting, you know, seeing things unfold on Twitter itself, the citizen journalism, uh, being able to dig through the on-chain wall addresses, hearing firsthand accounts from employees, <laughs> apparently themselves from FTX, and then everybody kind of speculating, coming to consensus, some wrong theories, some right theories. But uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, based on the data, you know, the limited blockchain data that we have and the info coming out from first party accounts that like we were able to self-organize and kind of create a narrative on crypto Twitter, which, you know, that's like that, you know, FTX is almost like timeline A. And then at the same time, there's like a timeline B of like Elon acquiring Twitter, you know, firing like 80% of the staff. And then, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's just kind of interesting how those two timelines merge. And then uh, now we don't know if Twitter is going to survive. I think it probably will. They'll probably become more, more, a little bit janky. Uh, I've seen a lot more bugs and a lot more performance issues, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, Twitter collapses. I don't know where the crypto ecosystem would go. I put out a tweet and everyone said like Reddit, Discord, Telegram, but those are all like permissioned ad hoc groups. So, you know, it's it's a little ironic that like our crypto industry, you know, it's runs on decentralized infrastructure, but then our social layers all like one platform, one one social central platform, which seems like a risk, but uh, do you have any Do you have any thoughts? Uh, if this would you consider this to be like a bigger FTX situation, a bigger collapse than like Mount Gox, or what do you think the difference in like ramifications are between those two situations?
1: Well, I wasn't around for my Mount Gox, so I can't you know I can't speak from direct experience, but I would say, you know, Mount Gox it was you know it wasn't that relevant within the wider world at that point, so. You know, it collapsing did not affect that many people generally compared to FTX. It also didn't have as big of an impact on the perception of crypto because there wasn't much perception in general at that point. There was very little awareness of, I mean, it was mostly just Bitcoin. And so there wasn't really much awareness in general of crypto at that time. I will say that, you know, I'm sure at that time people thought genuinely though that like is this over like is, is crypto over because it's newer it actually you, there's that more of that type of uh thought pattern and so i think in that regard you could say maybe it was worse when you're like you're really wondering like is this all just is this is the end of all this now though this one i think has a much bigger impact on because it's it's everywhere like it, every, you know my dad knows about like everyone who watches the news or you don't even have to watch the news like everyone's heard of it even if they're not in crypto and and for and it a lot of people who don't who think crypto who are kind of skeptical of crypto which is a lot of people well this is just like fuels that fire it also kind of is great ammo for regulators uh, who want to put their controls you know, on crypto in certain ways that are not, you know, are maybe not in the best interest of people in crypto or people in general. And so, you know, which is funny too, because if you look at it, well I mean, look, crypto or you know, I'm gonna say on chain applications, DeFi, I mean they have their own issues, don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of scammy projects. There is the Luna collapse was a crypto native thing. So, like, it hasn't done itself any favors itself. However, all this major collapses have been, you know, besides Luna, it, well, it's been like CeFi. So, you know, the fact that, you know, that was, you know, Celsius and FTX and not maybe Genesis now, all these big ones, you know, they're the one, you know, Rieros. And so it's it would be really unfortunate if they tried to, Clamp down on on-chain applications when Aave, Compound, MakerDAO, like all these protocols held up very well <laughs> during all this. Like
0: I've definitely noticed that, like pe- people who are like who heard about FTX and they know the situation, like oh man, this is why I don't trust DeFi, and you know it's DeFi was like the answer to all this CeFi contagion. Like FTX was basically trying to regulate DeFi away because they knew it was a competitor to them, so they were trying to implement and they were working closely with regulators to in place regulation where like DeFi front ends would have to be basically locked down and KYC and restricted access. And like they were trying to basically regulatory capture and create a mode around themselves. So DeFi couldn't be competitive. So like DeFi is transparent infrastructure running on chain. Like you said, it's not perfect. <laughs> the UX is terrible. You know, some DeFi protocol gets hacked like every other week for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like it's not perfect. But CFI is like CFI is this really weird middle ground where like you have the shadiness and the opaqueness of traditional finance. And then you have like the sleaziness and the speculation mania of crypto. And like you combine those two and then you just kind of have like giant companies with giant slush funds of crypto that they end up doing pretty questionable things with to try and generate that 20% uh, definitely sustainable yield for their clientele or patch up some other losses (laughs) elsewhere. But, you know, I, I do agree that like FTX, collapse you know on a perp like a percentage of crypto it's smaller than mount gox but like ftx was working closely with regulators you know because sam was donating to political parties the whole situation became very politicized and became more of a household name because of that in part because of that And so, like people know ftx you know they had a fucking stadium named after them they had super bowl commercial larry david and you know tom brady promoting it like it was much more of a household name and like now that's collapsed and you know i i think that that's going to bring question into the crypto narrative even if it you know doesn't have anything to do with defi it's still crypto and it's all the same to people which is unfortunate so i i think defi can survive it but it's just it's unfortunate people commingle the two concepts
1: yeah what i am noticing though is that people generally are like <laughs> you know wow is this like I've seen some people really think, is this the end? Like, so in some ways, like this is probably the worst um, sentiment wise that crypto has been in a while. In my opinion, Uh, I think people are like, this might take a while to clean out. Um, And the question is kind of, where does it it go from there? was, well, I was actually, to be honest, I was quite shocked. I mean, I, I think everyone was, but I was pretty shocked with that this happened. Now, I wasn't shocked that Sam was a bad apple, you know, or that, you know, this maybe happened to him. I never really, to be honest, I never really bought his whole thing about, you know, if it, just watching that effective altruism video. I just could not take that serious. I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. But to see someone who is so connected with politicians with all these different, you know, nonprofits and, and institutions and all this. And, you know, yeah, like you said, <laughs> name on a stadium, like, that, I was, like, usually you don't see people like that collapse like that. Um, and so that was pretty shocking to me. Um, just And when you think about it, too, like, I, I, I have mixed... Opinions on, you know, regulation, but you know, the fact that these CFI institutions are largely unregulated. Um, a lot of them operate offseas because they either can't operate on the in the U.S. or in certain jurisdictions, or I mean, maybe some of them just didn't want to, and maybe some of them are just bad actors in general. I don't think all of them are by any means, but they definitely were taking, you know, massive risks that they probably. Or at least would have been a lot harder to take um had they been under more scrutiny. And so yeah, it's funny that all of them calling for regulations when the, the ones they were the person they were working with regulation was by far the worst apple in the whole bunch. And it's like, okay, like so I don't know, I, I have mixed feelings, but um yeah, I mean that you kind of force all these institutions to operate off, you know. Outside of jurisdictions, and then you know human nature, I guess, takes over, and and I think it's tough too because these like they are these CFI institutions. I mean, I'm not giving a pass or anything by any means. Like they took ridiculous risks, like all this, like these unsecured loans worth hundreds of millions of dollars to like bench like VCs like three arrows and stuff, and that's like ridiculous risk taking, um but. Oh they're trying to compete for yields in with DeFi, which had these ridiculously unsustainable yields. And so, which I guess looking back, they probably were the ones that were fueling it actually were providing most of the liquidity.
0: It was kind of an arms race between like, DeFi was able to just print money out of thin air and then people could farm that and then that boosted up the yield sometimes to crazy Ponzi levels, ohm. But, you know, CFI firms, you know, they they could generate that level of yield when they have like $10 million of deposits, but then they started getting billions of dollars deposits, tens of billions of dollars, and they were still expected to earn that 20% plus (laughs) APR. And, you know, the more capital you have, the harder it is to generate that yield. And so they just progressively took on more and more and more and more risk. And we, you know, that ended up being the collapse of Celsius. And that's uh, other CFI lenders who, you know, lending to different actors to try and generate yield and then they started lending to riskier and riskier entities the quality of the collateral went from like you know bitcoin ethereum to like self-issued tokens like sell and FTT to entirely uncollateralized totally no collateral and then you know once one domino falls and the whole thing kind of starts to fall over and and collapse uh on the point of like i've seen people argue like in terms of regulation that like you know, the reason FTX is offshore is, you know, that's because that's proof like US regulation around crypto works. But I think it's kind of inverse where like FTX had no real competitors, like in terms of derivatives trading, because the regulatory unclarity in the US, like there was no competitor in the US because there's no clarity on how to create such an exchange and be compliant. You know, any product people tried to create basically got shut down. So, you know, offshore shady entities will always exist. Like you, Regulations in one country can't prevent a company in, a, in another country from existing. But if you have more clear regulation, then you can have more competitor, uh, clear competitors who are more transparent. And you have all these you know, safe competitors, regulated competitors in the US. Why would you go use a shady option exchange if you can get the same product that's better, you know, where you live locally? And so it's kind of like an unfortunate situation. And like <laughs> Sam was pushing for regulations, he was one of the bigger people pushing for regulations, but of course, in a self-serving manner. And so I'm sure more regulators will be much more wary of any crypto actor, unfortunately, good or bad at this point. But I think the reality still is that there's going to be some form of regulatory clarity and there has to be in order for, you know, projects and institutions to feel comfortable stepping into Web3 until they know what the hell they can and can't do. Because at this point, it's just don't operate in the US. Like It's just it's not worth the risk. Or the regulatory clarity at this point, really?
1: Yeah, I don't really see the crypto markets taking off like big, big, unless these large institutions come in. And for better or worse, I mean, I know some people have this vision that you know crypto is going to be this alternative thing, and it's going to beat the man and this and that, and, and that's all fine and well, but I don't think that's really realistic. It might be a, it might be like a sub underground economy it can be that but that's you know that's going to be limited and and yeah you might sacrifice you're probably going to it's going to sacrifice some trust minimization more than likely um but hopefully it brings certain benefits though at the same time like certain levels of uh, higher levels of transparency higher levels of corruption resistance i guess you could say um, or at least like you can see what's really interesting about the FTX is like you can see their crime kind of in real time in a way like I, I think it's very hard. To... You, c- you couldn't really do that in the traditional system because it's all opaque. And so like having these on-chain analytics like is very interesting and in that you can kind of like dig up. See, there's pretty much proof here that you guys are doing something nefarious or something like that. Um, so continuing to, bro- I think mean, I think that's kind of what the industry really is about more and more is basically providing proof of things, everything that you do has to have a proof behind it, or at least, you know, and there's different degrees of proof. You might not be able to get a hundred percent proof, but we can get a lot more proof than we were used to in the past. And I think that can build, you know, over time. Yeah, it's.
0: It's not perfect, but then, like when people people saw the quote unquote hack happen in real time, and then moving funds, like everybody was doing, everybody was chain analysis <laughs> at that point, tracking every movement, seeing all the tokens being swapped, seeing the ass, another portion of the assets being transferred. Like if some like traditional finance institution collapses, like you would have you have no idea what's on their books or like what their assets are or what the risk exposure is. But because people are able to look on chain, they can get some sense of what exactly that institution's risk profile is and it seems like that's one of the major value props is like just being able to put a portion or all of your books on chain so people can actually know what the hell's going on even if you know you don't have full trustlessness or permissionlessness. you still have you know a core advantages of transparency.
1: let me ask you this. so like I'm curious your thought on this because like on one end, you know the the interesting thing about, kind of cryptos like (laughs) you could do a bank run quite easy um and in some ways that kind of holds the you know institution that's holding those funds responsible like it kind of keeps them in check i guess you could say or can be used that way um but if you have like rumors or whatever and then everyone pulls their money out and then like you know that can also create i think problems at the same time and i think also like people also want to i mean the reality is a lot of people want to put their money into like an earn program through the exchange and that yield doesn't just come out of nowhere like i think eric i saw eric wall say that like look these aren't risk-free yields like there's no risk-free yields out there like they have to take on some risk, usually with by lending um and so they're not going to be always there might not be one to depends on what type of exchange maybe you separate though the exchange from you know this or that but like you know all these people who want the yields on the CFI exchange well those yields don't come like if you just wanted to trade on the exchange like that's why gem i think gemini they have their exchange and they have their earn you have to just specifically deposit it and earn but like you know if you, the yields on these exchanges they're not they're not risk-free
0: yeah i think there, i've seen like infusion of people comparing like exchanges to banks and like exchanges are not banks like they should have your deposits one to one they should be available anytime like you know if you're just looking purely at the exchange portion a bank run shouldn't be possible it should be backed one to one everybody can withdraw and you know maybe not instantly because blockchains aren't <laughs> blockchains are slow but you know the funds should be there and they should not be missing so like people comparing like oh you know people try to do this to banks but like banks are you know that's lending and borrowing and exchanges do do lending and borrowing and like you said like those you know, if you try to withdraw and they don't have enough money because they don't have it, they lent it out. Like that's, that's how you got the yield in the first place. I think one thing is, uh, you know, a lot of the lending products on CFI and uh, exchange lending products is it's not clear where the yield comes from, like at all, you know, Celsius gave, always gave this really complicated explanation about like uh, you know, lending to institutions and but, like, it wasn't, it was never really clear how they got the money. And then, you know, because of chain analysis and blockchain data you know, we could see that they were basically farming DeFi. You know, that's 3AC, you know, that's different, but they were farming DeFi as well. And these exchanges, you know, the different products... Let me ask you
1: this, though. Okay, so I agree. Um, but can they make that transparent, though? Because then you basically give your secret sauce away of how you're making yield. Like, like, can it be done? Like, can you do... Can you offer... Like, I agree that the exchange should be separate from the yield product, but could you... If you're getting a yield product, can you make it transparent though?
0: I mean, you should at least know like the methods through which. Like, you don't have to necessarily disclose like the term agreements of each position. But like if your product is just a wrapper of Genesis lending, you know, you'd be transparent about that. But like it's not super clear to people. They think it's just a Genesis or a, a Gemini lending product when it's really just a wrapper of another product. But like if your strategy is DeFi farming, you could say it's DeFi farming. You farm on these chains, but you don't have to necessarily say what strategies, but, you know, it's a trade-off spectrum. If you want less risk of a bank run or, you know, you want, you know, then maybe you're a little bit more opaque about the exact strategies. But if you want to actually provide like strong user assurances and clarity, then like you want to be, be a little bit more transparent, proving those, you know, what you do with the money is a little bit trickier, but like, you know, black box machines, you deposit your money and you make more money. You know, if you don't know where the yield comes from, you're probably the yield. So like, I think it'd be better to be a little bit more transparent, but yeah, it's, it's a spectrum of like bank run versus alpha sharing <laughs> a little bit, but fundamentally a different product than, uh, just being a, an exchange, I think over time, and this is something that Vitalik mentioned, but like, you know, we have like centralized exchanges that are just, you know, you trust them, you put your money on it and they can just do whatever they want. Basically you have like more trustless or basically trustless DEXs, you know, non-custodial doesn't even hold your money. You just use it to exchange and nobody can block you but like there's this middle ground area where you can have uh you can have like a zk roll up or you can have a Validium zk roll up with off-chain data and you can have it so it's non-custodial a central party still orders transactions so they can front run you and they can still engage in some malicious stuff but all the funds are non-custodial and you can withdraw request to withdraw any time and the exchange operator doesn't actually hold your funds so i feel like over time there will be like a spectrum of exchanges. It won't be like CFI and DeFi, but it'll become a lot more blurry. I think the tricky area for me, you know, DEXs are a better user experience than centralized exchanges, but their downfall has always been they don't integrate with Fiat because Fiat is inherently centralized and permissioned and need KYC, AML. mail So like there's this major barrier where like a lot of people only use centralized exchanges as an on-off ramp and then DEXs for everything else. So like if we can merge the two, then the value proposition of centralized exchanges are way lower. And then you have like an actual user experience that isn't, you know, painful (laughs) every two seconds trying to use it. Then DEX has become a lot more competitive. And then the whole, like, how transparent do we want to be kind of becomes irrelevant. It's like looping back around. Like you could, you know, if you deposit a Yearn, you know where the yield's coming from, you can look at all the strategies and like, they're not, maybe they're giving up a little bit alpha because of that, but like, it's clear where you're getting your yield from. If you lend on Aave, you know, you're getting it from borrowers and you don't care what the borrowers do because it's fully collateralized. You know, there's like middle ground of like Maple and like uncollateralized lending that provide like a little bit of a pseudo solution. But like, I feel like all those concerns, basically once it's all on chain, become a lot less relevant because then you can just show what needs to be shown because that's how smart contracts work. And then centralized entities, you know, they may provide some services, but ideally most of that should become protocols anyways.
1: Yeah, I think it would be very interesting if you had a non-custodial exchange, but kind of a you you need some type of like central infrastructure to have a fast order book. I think um, I I don't think personally that AMMs are going to be the future of dexes. I actually think they'll go back to order books more and more. Um, so I, I but the problem I guess has always been you can't do it's very hard to do an on-chain order book. At least right now, although I know that's something that's being more looked at in the layer twos. But I think, yeah, if you could get a non custodial, uh, also, if you, yeah, non custodial decks with order books that was also maybe had a fast matching engine, maybe they could open source some of the code on it um, or, or open source the code on it at least, but maybe like host it in a certain way where it's, you know, maybe you have a very small quorum of nodes where it's like only a few. I mean, that's basically how like
0: DYDX works. Like now they're like a Cosmos chain, like hundred validators. It's, you know, you have to trust those validators. So it's not really a ZK roll-up level of security, but like they control the ordering, this committee. And then it's like, it's not fully decentralized like Ethereum, but it's not, you know, like a single operator. It's more like a collective of operators. Yeah, it
1: It seems like the reality is you you can't think you could have a fast order book on Ethereum, at least layer one, like, or at least not anytime soon. Um And so, like, there are going to be trade-offs. I also think, like, I know everyone, like, I'm, like, look, uh, you know, most most people I know custody themselves, but the reality is I think a lot of people don't want to custody themselves, even though it is the best way. And and it's really not that hard, but, I mean, look, I have lots of friends and, like, they're scared to death to move any amount of money that's worth, you know it's above a certain amount and also like with updates and like, Oh, is this a legit update? Is this not, you know, like like that user experience is not, I mean, yeah, it's easy for us in crypto and it's, you know, you, it's not going to get like, I don't think a lot of people want that responsibility. Like if you press the wrong button, then you lose all your money.
0: Your money's just gone.
1: Or, yeah. Or like there's no do back. or you forget your key, um, or also just where People just have around, eras- you know, fears about unknown hackers or whatever. Like they're not technical. Sa- they're not, I mean, I'm not even that. It, it, if you're not technically savvy, you know, you can make mistakes. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's really realistic for everyone to cuss themselves. I mean, I I get I, if you can, you should, but I don't think that's how you're gonna make it mainstream. At least unless you start to get way better UX, that's super simple. And you have like, you know, key recovery methods that, you know, are secure. So people, people fuck up, but like, even then like do backs, like, or maybe you, maybe there's a service that, you know, help. Like if you want to put some trust in it, you can get a do back or something, but like, I don't know how that would work, but anyways, I think those are big barriers.
0: Yeah. I think it's part of like the general crypto UX problem. Like, everything, like if you want to use DeFi or use Web3, like you basically have to be like an engineer. Like you have to know, you know, what's a chain ID? You know, what's gas limit? What's a gas price? What, you know, when a transaction's finalized or it reverts, do you like, do you know the difference in why? And like, can you read a block explorer? Like, do you know, you know, your hexadecimal, hexadecimal address? Do you know how to like, you know, there's all these technical concepts that like most people don't care. Like they're going to get super lost. Like, what do you mean? I, you know, what, why, why, what's Polygon? Like, I just want to use this Ethereum wallet. Like it's, the U, and it doesn't help that like wallets are pretty bad UX as well. But like, yeah, then you start self-custodying, you know, your uh, your keys, and then it's like, oh, you lost that piece of paper? Sorry, your money's just fucking gone. Good luck. Try again next time. Like that's not <laughs> it's not an acceptable deal to most people. Um, so they just use you know Coinbase, they trust them, and for most people it works. But you know, then you turn out you know your exchange you trusted was FTX, and then you lost all your money. And it's, you know, people are used to entrusting centralized institutions. And until we have, like, better social recovery systems or, you know, key sharings where like, a key is split up across multiple entities or native account abstractions, so your accounts uh, could be natively split into multiple keys, like, it's, there's different ways to make the UX better. Some of them have to be done at the infrastructure level. Some of them could just be at the wallet level. But, like, if you try to use Web3 today, like, even if you know how to self custodian yourself, like... You know, you have to connect your hardware wallet to MetaMask and then connect MetaMask to the web app. And then you have to, you know, parse all the information. You have to sign this transaction. When you look at it on your wallet, it's just a bunch of hexadecimal numbers. You have no idea what you're signing. It could take all your money. You have no idea. You're, You're kind of just trusting what it says. And then some point in the process could break anyways. And so it's like, it's no wonder why people trust centralized exchanges. They just, you know, they connect their bank account. They buy some crypto. They're done. Like, it should be that easy in crypto and defi and, and until it's that easy it's only going to be engineers who actually do the down and dirty and use defi directly itself i think there'll be abstractions but you know we're not at that point yet so like i don't think blaming people for having their funds on centralized exchanges is the right approach because then they're just not going to own crypto which you know obviously that's a worse solution so it's like a ux and engineering problem as well as like an education problem like it's not that hard to self custody but like they need to know what the risks are and how to do it and like all the nuances. So I think we'll get to that point eventually, but we're probably not at that stage yet.
1: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's going to take, it's kind of a, uh, things that the industry needs to work out. Like we, we got, so we got a a while to go. To, I do uh, feel
0: that we're almost like speed running finance. i like, I've used that analogy before, but like All the liquidity crunches and the bank runs and the like Ponzi schemes, like that happened in like, I don't know, like 1800s, early 1900s, We're kind of just like doing that again, except like a hundred times faster. (laughs) And so like eventually we're going to catch up to traditional finance and then exceed it at a faster rate as well. But like for now, we're still in that like, you know, pseudo bank run pre-Fed era of like no trust. And then every institution could just collapse in a cascading manner. And like, you know, maybe we probably don't want like a Fed type entity in crypto, although it seems like that's what Binance is trying to do with their insurance fund, basically become a, a central bank or like the IMF lender of last resort, which, you know, liquidity crunches are good, but I don't like a single centralized entity being the lender of last resort <laughs> in crypto. You know, if you make one mistake, you're just going to get acquired by Binance and you have like no other, no other alternative. But at this point, you know, with all the collapses in CFI and DeFi, or CFI lenders, then every defi protocol getting hacked not every protocol but most many protocols getting hacked like every other week losing hundreds of millions and you know it's it you know crypto's the lowest it's been in terms of sentiment and i think
1: it's pretty obvious why i think you're right in the speed running that was actually also pointed out in that bloomberg article about crypto how like you know basically we're doing all we're we're trying all these f- experiments in finance and a lot of these experiments were the same things that they you know that finance has done over time and running into the same types of problems but also with some new innovations as well like the you know amm kind of a new type of innovation and so um yeah just got to keep going i think um and hopefully get back to you know, we have to start really start building products and services that people will use that are beyond speculation. Like speculation isn't a product. Like you can only speculate. You're only speculating that eventually there'll be products and services that people actually want to use. Like, like just this, or else it's only a, a casino. And then well, the casino and and really, I, I, yeah, like I said before, the casino is only valuable. This casino is only valuable because the idea that it will eventually produce something good, um, and so, people, we have to really get back. I, sometimes these things are good because it forces, like, it forces a lot of this shit out, and 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 people who actually are really trying to use the technology to provide services in unique ways or provide certain guarantees on services you know those people then stay around and and build and sometimes you go into this kind of hibernation mode for a year or two a lot of people are just building um and and you know so and then out of nowhere the industry starts like you you blink and then now now it's starting to rise again and so that's probably what we'll enter into here but I i was surprised by the way that the that uh, J.P. Morgan. I mean, just, they just they were they were saying that um, yeah, it was the CFI institutions, not the DeFi protocols, that actually um, caused this particular mess. I was very, very shocked that they actually said that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of institutions are very closely watching what's happening in DeFi, but they just kind of see it as like <laughs> infrastructure that's built so people can speculate on tokens that have value because they monetize people speculating on tokens, like it's very circular. <laughs> and like, that's it, not a new revelation, but like, that's basically what DeFi is. And the use cases that are actually like needle moving, like stable coins or real world assets have like this trade off of not being as trust minimized or they're being a little bit more centralized. It's so like, there's people who like you know, push back against that because they want the ideals of DeFi being this decentralized permissionless utopia, which, you know, I think realistically, there has to be a compromise between the two. Because if DeFi just continues to be like this money printer machine where people print tokens and then people speculate on the tokens because maybe those tokens can, you know, accrue more tokens and like you can stake those tokens and wrap them and <laughs> go through this whole layer of a uh, uh, composability. And so like you don't even know what asset you hold anymore because <laughs> it's been through been through so many protocols. But like, you know, I, I think that we're already seeing some protocols shift more towards real world assets. I know makerDAO's Dows onboarded some assets. There's actually collateralized lending. Stable coins are the first real use case. Of of DeFi, in my opinion, or of crypto being able to provide the basically the best of both worlds. But yeah, until we reach that point, you know, DeFi is not really going to solve major problems if it's printing dogcoin eighty seven all over again. But I think that you know we mentioned this before, but like you know, the key innovation is like the ability with native coins. You know, you could see full transparency. You could see the books. You could see it, who owns what. You can see you know like you earn what they're. Generating yield, and you could see Aave, you could see every asset, but you know, people transition from CFI and centralized institutions into DeFi because they want that trust minimization, they want that transparency, they want that control of assets. But given the lack of interoperability between the on chain and off chain world, between blockchains, there ends up being a lot of wrapped tokens within DeFi. So, you know, wrapped BTC, billions of dollars of Bitcoin quote-unquote, wrapped onto Ethereum, which is just BitGo holding custody of the Bitcoin and the minting a representation of it on Ethereum. You know, any cross-chain token is some bridge or some entity holding custody and minting a representation. Pretty much every L1 bridge has a bridge to Ethereum, so they can siphon liquidity from Ethereum. And there's some custodians. So, like, people escape to DeFi for trust minimization, but then they end up just interacting with assets issued by the same parties that they were trying to get away with, get away from in the first place. And so... You know with a lot of these assets you don't really know what's backing them you know like we saw solet tokens on solana uh which the custodian was ftx but you know it wasn't really clear if ftx was the custodian and then it was and it wasn't clear you know if those assets are redeemable so like sobtc and so on solana you know the custodian was ftx and so when they collapse there's a lot of confusion and eventually those assets basically collapsed to zero but there was no transparency into the books so, there was like a lag period until people realized, like, oh, wait, we can't redeem this. There's nothing back in these coins anymore. And thankfully, protocol is mostly off boarded of those assets. But, like, it's this weird risk where, like, you know, if some wrapped token just becomes immediately insolvent and unredeemable, the value of that asset just goes straight to zero. Like, it doesn't like glide down to zero, like some coin being dumped. Like, it just goes, it, its fundamental value is zero. Like, uh, and that creates like a lot of risk within the ecosystem. As these wrapped assets become more and more used. And so the ability to like, like bring transparency into the books of the, you know, the reserves backing those assets can make the DeFi ecosystem a lot more transparent. Maybe still a circular economy, but at least more transparent for people who want to, you know, play in that casino. Um, and so the, you know, I, I think that that'll become increasingly important infrastructure, the ability to have, you know, proof reserve for stable coins, for tokenized real world assets or for bridged assets like. That'll become increasingly important as people shift away from CFI and DeFi or into DeFi rather.
1: Uh, I think furthering that too, I mean, I guess that would be where a a regulatory framework could come in too of like, what happens if that off-chain asset runs into an issue? Like people who own that on-chain should type a legal claim to that. Now that's going to have to be settled off-chain more than likely because those assets exist off chain and there's going to be probably going to have to go through some legal proceeding and stuff. But I think that would be the point of having some type of framework. I don't know. I don't think you could do that on tech. How would you enforce that on chain when the assets, unless, you, you know, maybe over time, all assets become tokenized in a way, but I think that's where a regulatory framework would make some sense And that, okay, you have a legal claim to it. So you you might not get fully redeemed if they run into issues, but that's the same in the real world. But, you know, you have a claim to basically, if they go bankrupt or whatever, you have claims on all that stuff. Yeah, I think like the the liabilities
0: are just on-chain tokens. Like, you know, if you're looking at what the collateralization of wrapped Bitcoin is, you already know what the liabilities are. It's how many wrapped Bitcoin tokens exist on Ethereum. Then you just need the reserve data. And then you can just compare the supply on Ethereum versus what's actually backing on a Bitcoin, and then you can determine solvency and liquidity. And so, like being able to prove, hey, these assets are actually backed by what we say it is. Regulators would want to see that information. Users would want to see that information, and protocols can see that information. Um, you know, like there's different ways in order to use proof reserves in DeFi. You can have it within the minting function of the coin itself, so you can only issue more. You know, like wrapped Bitcoin. If there's a sufficient amount of reserves already backing it on you know by bit hold that's being held by Bitcoin on the bitcoin chain uh as well as like you know Ave can implement a circuit breaker so if some asset becomes immediately uncollateralized you know then they can basically halt borrowing and lending on the uh, on the protocol you know which to be clear proof reserve doesn't prevent a token from being uncollateralized like a protocol you know bitco, bitco deciding to rug everybody and steal all the bitcoin that backs uh btc but it could kind of it could prevent like the contagion effects and the onset like the 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 bank run or like you being able to use these unbacked tokens to like steal all the funds in a protocol like minting a trillion unbacked wrapped Bitcoin depositing that to Ave borrowing the entire protocol and running away with the money or you know it's some variation of that type of exploit like proof reserve can kind of prevent that because it can say hey wrapped Bitcoin is no longer backed we're gonna halt operations can't deposit wrapped Bitcoin can't borrow against it. You know there's still gonna be losses but they won't be your entire protocol it'll just be a portion of it and that's obviously better and if you can't even mint unbacked tokens like new unbacked tokens that's obviously better as well um you know so it doesn't it, you know proof reserve for defy tokens wrapped assets doesn't solve every problem with wrapped tokens but it can mitigate a lot of these effects and just generally increase transparency so people know what the hell <laughs> actually backs these tokens so if it's like the select btc on solana again you can know on a block by block basis, like, okay, this asset's no longer backed, um, you know, we should halt any borrowing against it because obviously the risk profile is just way out of whack at this point. So I see that as the fundamental value. Uh, you know, once you start getting into exchange proof reserve, it becomes more tricky because exchanges are off-chain. So they have off-chain liabilities, meaning they're not represented as tokens, but, you know, they can re-hypothecate collateral, use it multiple times over. They can borrow funds just before a snapshot's taken you know if as we saw with FTX sam himself had a back door into the financial sheet and he just changed the numbers and no auditor was able to detect that none of their employees were able to detect that like he basically just cooked the books and you know when you're able to manipulate those liabilities you know it's hard to get a good sense of like you know what exactly does an exchange owe people you could see the reserves a little bit easier and that is important information to have but it you know if you don't have a clear view into the liabilities that becomes way more trickier to say this exchange is solvent versus wrap tokens where the liabilities are just, you know, it's the tokens on Ethereum. It, it's it's much more easy to implement.
1: Did, um, <clears throat> did you read Vitalik's post about the, uh, uh, just curious why what you, what, what you, like, if you could maybe summarize that, I'm sure some people are interested in that. Yeah, he
0: effectively described mul- some different approaches, starting with like a Merkle tree of, being able to collect user account balances into this cryptographic tree structure where a user can verify that their balance is included in the tree without seeing everybody else's balance in the tree. And so if enough people check that tree, uh, then people can be assured that those liabilities are accounted for, and then they can make their addresses public. So they can assign something with their address saying, hey, we own these funds in this address. Then people can check the liabilities in this Merkle tree to verify that it's actually uh being stored but the tricky thing
1: I was gonna say what wasn't the problem with that though the the exchange could kind of create a negative balance if they say they were a shortfall they could create a a negative balance in the liabilities and then they could group that in a certain branch of the tree with like accounts that probably accounts that haven't checked their account in years and so and if you get an, and you group enough of them together it becomes like a branch that no one can verify and since others can't really verify other accounts either, then it becomes kind of a way to game that if they wanted. Yeah, and and the reason
0: you would want, yeah, one thing is like the reason you would want the Merkle trees because you want people to check that their balances are included in this liability checker, but you don't want to reveal everybody balance, everybody's balance because that's like a huge privacy concern. But at the same time, you want to be able to like verify your your accounts included. But yeah, like if you include a negative balance next to an element that's you know somebody that's never going to check their uh, the check their liabilities on this tree, then you could effectively kind of <laughs> remove some of the liabilities and make it seem like you owe users less than you do. Uh, there's ways to kind of get around this with uh, with like a zero knowledge proof where you can prove there's non-zero liabilities all grouped into a zero knowledge proof and people can individually check that their liabilities are included in this proof. The tricky thing is you can just ignore some liabilities. So you can just ignore some account addresses, as well as it doesn't necessarily take into account that they have other types of liabilities. Um, you know, if they're lending out assets to another broker or another exchange, you know, they can they can include, can include every user's uh, liabilities, but if they have additional liabilities, like lending it out, uh, then that won't necessarily be included. And as long as they borrow assets before a Snapshot's taken, then they can look like they're completely solvent and they're fine until enough people try to withdraw and they realize the money's not there. So like, it's an interesting solution, but I think one thing, to you know, basically you don't want to see these implementations and go, oh, okay, it's proof, you know, it's 100%. I'm, I'm perfectly safe because there are ways to get around it. I do think it's better than nothing. You know, so, some level of assurance is better than no level of assurance, but it's not like you have this Merkle tree or you have the zero knowledge proof, you have... All you have the proof reserves, uh, you know you're 100% guaranteed you're fine because there's still ways to kind of manipulate and get around it. So and that that's kind of where Vitalik mentioned like the the zk rollup slash Validium centralized exchange where like it's not custodial, but the exchange or still orders transactions. Like there's this spectrum we can live down where, you know, it becomes a way more apparent what the reserves of an exchange is because it's all on chain. Users hold it. It can't be lent out without their control. So, you know, it, it's basically this proof reserves like a nuanced topic because there's multiple different types of implementations. Chainlink proof reserves is very focused on wrapped tokens and DeFi, protecting the DeFi ecosystem, and these other Merkle tree type designs are very focused on centralized exchanges. And I wouldn't say any of them are like 100% perfect. They all have their trade-offs, but centralized exchanges are much harder <laughs> in terms of liabilities because you you could just hide information or you can manipulate that information.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because uh, I think, you know, everyone wants proof of reserve. And uh, I mean, I want proof, everyone wants these proof points, but I think we need to not be naive to think that any of these implementations, well, like first, none of these implementations besides, I guess some people do the Merkle trees, but like, you know, they're not perfect. (laughs) They can be manipulated. Um, And so, you know, we need to be, it's it's not... uh, it's not easy to do and it, and especially anytime soon to create a solution that's very hard to game. I think it's worth researching more. Um, but I don't think any, like, cause I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it would seem like you would need to really change certain things about their backend systems. And then you'd also have to like have like some types of auditors to like make sure that they weren't doing certain off chain activities and you'd have to then, you know, there'd be, there. there's a lot of work to be done there. And and then also like, wh- you know, would exchanges do this if there's, you know, if there's a competitive advantage to doing it or is there, or if they're giving away some of their trade secrets, if they're kind of doing, working with different brokers off chain and stuff. I mean, maybe there's, maybe the, it'd be nice if you got to the point where like, no, this is all of our stuff. It's transparent, and that person and that exchange, then like everyone wants to use it because they're providing all this proof, like above and beyond. Um, but it seems like a lot of people flock to where the liquidity is and where it's easiest to make money, and that sometimes that comes with other risks that they're not telling you about. Like I'm pretty sure a lot of people went to FTX because there was um, they had this market making thing. That was, you know, people were winning more trades over there or whatnot. That, that's what I saw. I never, I never used FTX, but, um, anyways, I, I just want people to like, not be like, think though this problem is just, oh, it's gonna be solved right away, or you know, it's not gonna be solved, you know, probably anytime soon, but at least hopefully we're thinking in that direction.
0: Yeah, and I mean, realistically, a lot of proof reserves on a lot of people's minds right now, uh, but you know, if you think from an exchange's perspective, when the next bull market comes and everybody just wants to go where the money is and the yield is, and people are less concerned about security and proof, is it worth the development resources to implement that today for concerns today, if people may or may not be concerned about it in the future? Now, I think people will demand proof reserve in the future going forward. I think it'll become more of a standard, but, you know, exchanges, implementing proof reserve, you have to touch your private keys more times than usual, which every additional time you use a private key, that's a risk of exposing it. You know, you have to deploy infrastructure. You have to implement a solution that isn't even 100 percent perfect. And then a, ma- a new solution may come out that's even better, or you know, an evolved version of an existing solution. It's so like it's not like a one and done. Oh, just use use the solution; you'll be perfect. Everybody will trust and love you. Like it's there are costs associated, but I think in the long term, both within CFI and within DeFi, people demand more and more proof of solvency. Um, you know, it's the loudest right now because you know people lost $10 billion, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. So it's very much a, a sore point for people, but I, I just do think over oh, time it'll become more of a standard. But yeah, it's not a one and done. Oh, you know, just implement this Merkle tree, you're proof, you know, you can never be rugged. You know, everybody's happy. Like they could still get exploited <laughs> and lose all your money. Like, let's be real here. It's good to have proof reserves, you know, to show that you're solvent, but if you get hacked, you know, you're insolvent. Right. It's not proof reserve is not an anti-solvency mechanism. It's a transparency mechanism. So people can make an informed decision of where to go. But it's not like a, a perfect safety mechanism. It's only within DeFi where you can actually implement proof reserves as a circuit breaker or as a checks and balances system. So like if you want levels of trust minimization, you still have to move on-chain effectively. But you know, obviously there's trade-offs. I think security and uh, you know, being less Ponzonomics in DeFi is also important, but yeah, there's just a couple of nuances there, but I think it'll become more more widespread.
1: Yeah, I hope people. I mean, I I think we just need to keep moving in that direction. Like, yeah, it might not be perfect, but we have to move in that direction. But also be mindful of what are the like, still be mindful like what are the risks that are there. There's gonna be there's fucking risk in everything. Like I don't know, like, there's no like ris- The life is not risk free no matter what you're doing. Wait, so my um, ten thousand
0: percent APY was not risk free. <laughs>
1: But, I mean, hopefully, though, people just demand higher standards, not just in CFI not in DeFi, you know, like, everyone gets caught up in the bull run, everyone gets caught up just aping into this stuff and people making quick projects just to make a quick buck. And like, you know, and then no one's checking each other and everyone's just like riding the wave and then people want like we all knew that the last bull run was just like out of control like dogecoin like all these like meme coins and then these nft craze where these pictures these pictures that are stored on a centralized server are going for like 50 to hundred thousand dollars. like it just like got ridiculous so i mean it's not that shocking that the downfall was just as ridiculous right now i mean yeah we you don't you don't know what form it's going to take but um you know we kind of deserved. Uh, i don't say we like the market kind of deserved this in a way considering how stupid it got for a while
0: yeah the, the same reason crypto went up so high it went down so low it's just absolute mania and then absolute depression like it's <laughs> what comes up must come down I think that, you know, crypto has a lot of good properties, but if everybody's focused on the speculative aspects, they won't notice that the Ronin bridge has been insolvent for two plus weeks and just nobody looked. <laughs> and it was just completely insolvent for multiple weeks. So like we have this technology, we just have to like use it and then use it for a good purpose. Uh, if everybody's still kind of focused on speculating on tokens and it's like. Ecosystem could be as transparent as humanly possible. But if it's all for like speculating on some dog coin, then it's like it's always going to be, you know, kept as a casino and seen as a casino.
1: But it's uh, eventually the casino will end then. I mean, eventually, if nothing is built, the casino ends. Like, like, there's no like it only exists now because of the potential of the future.
0: Well, I mean, nobody really thinks like Dogecoin's going to have a super important future it's always just kind of been like it's a dog coin
1: but, like it, dog but, it, but it still gets caught up in the vortex of crypto generally like and that only comes out at certain times like it's random pump every two years or something
0: yeah uh, i mean ultimately if the space doesn't evolve it's just gonna kind of slowly bleed like it won't just like instantly go to zero just kind of like bleed and become less less relevant to most people But I I mean, luckily, we're I don't think we're going down that path. I don't foresee us going down that path. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this industry. (laughs) Otherwise, but it's more so like, what do people focus on? What do they care about? We can't just care about security in bear markets, we have to care about it in bull markets too. same with like real world use cases and real world assets and tangible use cases and good user experiences. Like we can't just say, Oh, you know, it'll be a better user experience in a couple years when someone fixes it, like people actually have to go out and fix it and make it a good user experience. Like it's we, we, we've been stuck in the uh, the internet of 1995 for like what like four years now. we're just stuck on that same era. Like we have to evolve past that at some point.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree, but it does take time. I mean the internet took a while. I mean if it's something that's gonna this is just gonna be a, a foundation from from which to build upon the next crop of things. but at some point we we really need to get more utility. Like that is be like, like can't just like the whole market can't be speculation. um so that, that's really what I'm most focused on,
0: yeah, I mean, i'm op- I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that's probably the best way to put it. i I could see the ecosystem moving in the direction it needs to go, but we actually just have to push towards that direction and not allocate some, like so much energy and resources towards what's nice in the short term. I can make a lot of money versus was actually sustainable and ultimately more profitable in the long term. But yeah, I think everyone's still feeling a lot of pain, but also being pretty, uh, I don't know if entertained is the right word, pretty captured by all the FTX contagion situation, SPF shitposting, and all these stories that keep coming out around uh, the whole situation. But I think that as C5 becomes more transparent, as DeFi starts to step into real world use cases that people care about, as well as becoming more transparent that our ecosystem's in a really good shape. Uh, I'm optimistic, but I think we'll see. But yep, uh, thanks for listening everybody and I'll catch you on the next one.